it's important to underline that close to 90% of truckers in this country are vaccinated, like close to 90% of Canadians. Over the past many months and years now, Canadians have stepped up to protect each other, to protect our frontline workers, to protect our elders, to protect our young people, to protect people like truckers who are putting food on our grocery store shelves. Canadians have stepped up to do the right thing to protect the freedoms and the rights of Canadians to get back to the things we love to do. We know the way through this pandemic is by getting everyone vaccinated. And the overwhelming majority, close to 90% of Canadians, have done exactly that. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other, who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country. Live from the home of the blues and the birthplace of rock and roll, it's Coach Duke Lowry. Drop back the bottle and I turn on the dime. Cause the strangers back behind me want me dead or alive. I can tell you it seems sleeping some days. Namaste, weirdos. Welcome back to the old normal. I am uh, your host, as always, Coach Duke Lowry. So what you heard there at the intro to the podcast today is the uh, <clears throat> Wonder Boy Canadian Prime Minister, uh, Justin uh, Trudeau, talking about the Canadian truck convoy that has crossed from Vancouver uh, into the Canadian capital of Ottawa. A few things I want to talk about real quick before we get in. We have a lot to get into today, so I don't have long. He says that 90% of truckers, like 90% of Canadians, have been vaccinated. Uh, that does not correlate to the fact that many of those people did not want to be vaccinated. He forced their hand through coercion and through mandates. He says that Canadians have done, quote, uh, what is necessary to protect other Canadians, and frontline healthcare workers. There is no evidence now, zero evidence whatsoever, no scientist from Fauci, even fake scientists like Fauci, no one disputes the fact that the vaccines at best are only a personal protection. They do not in any way prevent the transmission of the virus to others. So I don't know who he says that Canadians are protecting other than themselves. Then he says they are we are 
We're getting vaccinated to, quote, protect our freedoms as he destroys the freedoms, as he coerces people into taking the vaccine, as he uh, badmouths these brave Canadian truckers. He says that, quote, uh, we know that the way out of the pandemic is to get everyone vaccinated. Well, why do they want everyone vaccinated? That's not true. There is a thing called natural immunity. It is uh, um, 13 to 20 plus times more more robust and longer lasting than the vaccine, which does nothing for Omicron, by the way. But he says the way out of this pandemic is to get everyone vaccinated, not the 60% that Fauci said originally, not the 80% or the 90%, which Canada apparently is at, but 100%. Why is that? We'll talk about that in a few weeks when we get into the vaccines, but I'll give you a hint. They cannot have, basically what's going on is a massive clinical trial, and they cannot have a placebo group, a control group that did not take the vaccine. Everyone must be vaccinated. He then goes on to say that the truckers, these the small fringe minority of truckers hold, quote, unacceptable views. Well, who are you to say that their views are unacceptable? First of all, second of all, what we're seeing right now with Joe Rogan and Tucker Carlson and basically anybody in that has a voice that is prominent in media that can reach hundreds of thousands, if not in the case of Joe Rogan, millions of people. The reason for the censorship and the silencing and the the. You know, on Facebook, go go to our COVID-19 center for trusted expert advice on COVID-19. The reason for all of this has nothing to do with COVID. It's about whatever the next emergency is, whatever the next crisis is, uh, and then eventually the financial collapse and the taking of all your property. We'll get into that uh, later in the year. The censorship is not about COVID. It's not about, quote, saving lives. It is about controlling the narrative for, for, from now until eternity, until these people are overthrown. Unacceptable views. And he says that we're following the science. Meanwhile, again, there is no science behind what Justin Trudeau just said. The vaccines are a personal protection at best and really only for a small fraction of the population that is over the age of 65 or has... Uh, comorbidities or pre-existing conditions that um, sort of precondition them to serious illness if they were to catch uh, the coronavirus. So nothing he said was science. Uh, so I would say that his views are unacceptable. All right, we're going to get, uh, we got a lot to cover. We're only hopefully going to get through the ivermectin stuff today. We are going uh, back to Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s book, The Real Anthony Fauci. Uh, we're going to talk about ivermectin. Now, where we left off last week, uh, we were talking about two doctors, right? Dr. Tess Laurie, uh, who works with uh, a group called the Cochrane Collaboration. Now, as we talked about, the Cochrane Collaboration is a, um, a consortium of sorts, 30,000 independent scientists and 53 large institutions, and their job is to review medical studies done by Big Pharma to find out where the potential prejudices are, um, you know, what's the quality of the work, the integrity of the work, that sort of thing. They volunteer their time. Uh, the other was uh, Dr. Andrew Hill, 
who is employed by Liverpool University in England. He is also the uh, chief uh, data analyst for the WHO. And real quick, uh, last week, uh, kind of, I was kept saying analysis or something. Uh, when I record these podcasts, I often drink a lot of beer. And at the end of that, um, the beer was taking hold. So, analyst, I apologize. All right. <clears throat> From page 48 here. So, they had a meeting. She realized that one of her outlets with the WHO in order to get ivermectin approved uh, on the WHO's recommended protocols was not going to work. That was a, a university that was heavily funded by Bill Gates and Big Pharma. So she decided to go with Andrew Hill, who is their chief uh, uh, data anal- uh, analyst. And Hill originally, as we talked about last week briefly, was in the camp for ivermectin. He had appeared with Dr. Pierre Corey supporting ivermectin after the original 11 uh, studies on the, on the drug. All of a sudden, as this paper's coming out, he kind of does a U-turn, and he starts sort of towing the line, the mainstream line of ivermectin is not safe, and it's not, not only is it not effective, but it's not safe for COVID. So in their initial Zoom call, which is recorded, And I'm going to read a lot of the transcript, so you'll have to bear with me today. Dr. Laurie asked Andrew Hill to explain his U-turn on ivermectin, uh, which his own analysis found overwhelmingly effective. Quote, she says, how can you do this? You are causing irreparable harm. Hill then explained that he was in a, quote, tricky situation because his sponsors had put pressure on him. Now, as I just mentioned, Hill is a University of Liverpool virologist who serves as an advisor to Bill Gates and to the Clinton Foundation. Uh, Quote, according to uh, uh, Laurie, he told me his sponsor was Unitaid. Unitaid is a quasi-governmental advocacy organization funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Their purpose is to lobby governments to finance the purchase of medicines from pharmaceutical multinationals for the distribution for distribution to the African poor. Its primary purpose, though, seems to be protecting the patent and intellectual property rights of the pharmaceutical companies, which, as we shall see, is the principal priority for Bill Gates, and to ensure their prompt and full payment. About 63% of Unitaid's funding comes from a surtax on airline tickets, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation uh, pretty much funds the rest of it, to the point where they have a seat on the board of Unitaid, and uh, that person on the board chairs the Unitaid uh, Executive Committee. Uh, since 2005, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has given Unitaid um, $150 million. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Gates personally owns large stakes in many of the pharmaceutical companies that profit uh, from Unitaid. Gates also uses Unitaid to fund corrupt science by uh, tame and compromised researchers like Dr. Andrew Hill that legitimize his policy directives to the WHO. So he funds these groups that fund Hill in order for them to push his pharmaceutical goals and his uh, uh, pharmaceutical favorite candidates to the WHO. Unitaid, listen to this, Unitaid gave $40 million dollars $40 million to Andrew Hill's employer, the University of Liverpool, just four days before the publication of his study on ivermectin was uh, sent to the WHO. So Hill was running this study on ivermectin, uh, this uh, uh, data analysis for ivermectin. 
Four days before it was uh, given over to the WHO, and he finished it, Unidade, with Gates' money, gave it $40 million to his employer, the University of Liverpool. But not a conflict of interest, right? Hill, a PhD, confessed that the sponsors were pressuring him. Now, this is in the Zoom call. That he confessed that he, the sponsors were pressuring him to influence his uh, conclusion. When Dr. Lowry asked who was trying to influence him, Hill said, quote, I mean, I, I, I think I'm in a very sensitive position here. So now we're going to get into the uh, transcript of the call. This is Dr. Tess Lowry speaking. Quote, Lots of people are in sensitive positions. They're in hospitals. They're in ICUs dying, and they need this medicine. We're looking at the data, and it's clear. It's absolutely crystal clear. We can save lives today if we get the government to buy ivermectin. Hill responds, Well, I don't think it's as simple as that because we've got trials. This is Lowry. It is as simple as that. We don't have to wait for studies. We have enough evidence right now that shows that ivermectin saves lives. It prevents hospitalization. And you still haven't told me who is influencing you. Who is giving you this opinion? Because you keep saying you're in this sensitive position. I can appreciate that you're in a sensitive position. If you're being paid for something and you're being told to support a certain narrative, that is a sensitive position. So then you kind of have to decide, well, do I take this payment? Because in actual fact, you can see your false conclusions are going to harm people. Hill responds, I think fundamentally we're reaching the same conclusion about the survival benefit. We're both finding a significant effect on survival. So the WHO's chief uh, data analyst, Dr. Andrew Hill, is admitting right here that we're reaching the same conclusion about the survival benefit of ivermectin. We're both finding a significant effect on survival. Laurie responds, No, I'm saying I am sure of the evidence. I am saying I'm absolutely sure it prevents death. There is nothing as effective as this treatment. What is your reluctance? Whose conclusions are you making? You keep referring to other people. It's like you don't trust yourself. If you would just trust yourself, you know that you, you would know that you've made an error and you need to correct it because you know in your heart that this treatment prevents deaths. Hill responds, Well, I know... I know for a fact that the data right now is not going to get the drug approved. Laurie, but Andy, know this will come out. It will come out that there were all these barriers to the truth being told to the public and to the evidence being presented. She continues, uh, This was the consensus on Wednesday night's meeting with 20 experts. Hill then protests, and I listen to this, when she brings that point up, Hill says, he, or he protests, that the NIH, which is Fauci's organization, will not agree to recommend ivermectin. Here's Lori's response. Yeah, because the NIH is owned by the vaccine lobby. All I'm saying is that this smacks of corruption and you're being played. She then scolds Hill for ignoring the beneficial effects of ivermectin as prophylaxis, its effect on uh, a speedy uh, PCR negativity rate on the PCR test, on the need for, uh, it has an effect on the need for mechanical ventilation, on reduced emissions to ICUs, and other outcomes that are clinically meaningful. She then adds, quote, this is bad research. It's just bad research. So at this point, I don't know, you seem like a nice guy, but, I re but I'm really, really worried about you, Andy. 
Dr. Andrew Hill responds, Okay, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult situation. Lowry, No, you might be in a difficult situation, but I'm not because I have no paymaster. I can tell the truth. How can you deliberately try to mess this up? Hill, It's not messing it up. It, it's just saying that we need, we need a short time to look at some more studies. Lowry, So how long are you going to let people carrying on dying unnecessarily? That's up to you. Hill, well, I think, I think it then goes to the WHO and the NIH and then the FDA and the uh, European Medical Association, and they've got to decide when they think's enough enough. When they think enough is enough. Now listen to that. He won't make the recommendation because he's being paid by Gates. And what he's saying here is, she, uh, Tesslari asks, "How long are you going to let this go on and let all these people die and suffer?" And he goes, "Well." It's really up to the WHO and the NIH and the FDA when they think enough death and suffering is enough. Dr. Uh, Lari continues, You'd rather risk loads of people's lives? Do you know if you and I stood together on this, we could present a united front and we could get this thing approved? We could make it happen. We could save lives. We could prevent people from getting infected. We could prevent the elderly from dying. These are studies conducted around the world in several different countries, and they're all saying the same thing. Randomized controlled trials do not need to be the end-all be-all. But even based on the randomized trials, it's clear that ivermectin works. Finally, she starts kind of giving up on him. She says, I can see we're getting nowhere because you have an agenda, and the agenda is to kick this down the road as far as you can. So... I'm trying to save lives. That's what we do. I'm a doctor, and I'm going to save as many lives as possible, and I'm going to do that through getting this message on ivermectin out. Okay? Unfortunately, your work is going to impair that, and you seem to be able to bear the uh, burden of many, many deaths, which I cannot do. And then she asks again, Who pays you as a consultant through the WHO? Andrew Hill says, Well, it, it's Unidaid. Laurie. Whose conclusions are those on the review you've done? Who is not listed as an author? Who's actually contributed? Hill. Well, I mean, I don't really want to get into... I mean, it, it's Unidaid. Lowry. Who are the other voices that are in your paper that are not acknowledged? Hill. Unidaid has a, conclusion, uh, has a say in the conclusions of the paper. Yeah. So he admits that the people funding him, Unidaid, have a say in the conclusions of the paper he's writing on ivermectin, uh, whether to recommend it or not to the WHO. Who is Unidaid? As we saw a minute ago, it is Mr. Bill Gates. Tess Laurie. Okay, so who is it in Unidaid then? Who is giving you opinions on your evidence? Hill. Well, it's just the people there. I don't... Lowry. So you don't... So they have a say in your conclusions? Hill admits, yeah. Tesslari responds, Please give me the name of someone at Unidade that I could speak to. Andrew Hill. But I mean, th this is very difficult because I'm, you know, I've, I've got this whole role here where I'm supposed to produce this paper and we're in a very difficult, delicate balance. Lowry interrupts him. Who are these people? Who are, these pe who are the people saying this? Hill. Yeah, it, it's a very strong lobby. So who's saying this? You know, basically, he admits the evidence for ivermectin is overwhelming. He admits it works, but he can't do anything because his funders have a say in his recommendation to the WHO. And then he says he admits it's a very strong lobby. 
Teslari responds, So I'm really, really sorry about this, Andy. I really, really wish, and you've explained quite clearly to me, uh, in both what you've been saying and in your body language, that you are not entirely comfortable with your conclusions. Um, Hill then promised that he uh, would do everything in his power to get ivermectin approved if she would just give him six weeks. Lowry responded, How many people die every day? Hill goes, Oh, sure, I mean, you know, 15,000 a day? Hill, I'm sorry, Lowry, 15,000 people a day times six weeks, because at this, at this rate, all the other countries are getting ivermectin except for the UK and the United States, because the UK and the USA and Europe are owned by the vaccine lobby. Andrew Hill, quote, my goal is to get the drug approved and to do everything I can to get it approved so that it reaches the maximum. She interrupts him. You're not doing everything you can because everything you can would involve you saying to those people who are paying you, I see that this prevents deaths, so I'm not going to support this conclusion that you've drawn up anymore. I'm going to tell the truth. Uh, the conversation kind of goes on, and Lowry ends it uh, with this. Yeah, well, I don't know how you sleep at night, honestly. I mean, there it is, folks. Like, he admits that the WHO was being paid, or, or as the chief data analyst for the WHO, he was being paid by UnitAid, a front group for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, to write a review of the evidence for ivermectin and make ivermectin look bad. Yet he admitted in that back and forth that the evidence for ivermectin supports an immediate rollout. Now, I've only seen a small clip of that entire Zoom call. Again, I mentioned it last week. Lowry is in her office uh, looking very professional, and Andrew Hill is leaned back on the couch looking like a slob who hasn't showered in three days, just a stuttering, mumbling idiot, and you can hear it from the transcript. Now, at the next uh, BIRD conference, this is the, uh, I believe it was, <clears throat> it's an acronym for the British Ivermectin Recommendation uh, Development Conference. On January 14th, Laurie gave a speech, and here's what she said in her speech. Quote, Had Ivermectin been employed in 2020 when medical colleagues around the world first alerted the authorities to its efficacy, millions of lives could have been saved and the pandemic, with all its associated suffering and loss, brought to a rapid and timely end. The story of ivermectin has highlighted that we are at a remarkable juncture in medical history. The tools that we use to heal and our connection with our patients are being systematically undermined by relentless disinformation stemming from corporate greed. The story of ivermectin shows that we as a public have misplaced our trust in authorities and have under underestimated the extent to which money and power corrupts. They who design the trials and control the data also control the outcome. So this system of industry-led trials, which was instituted by Fauci himself, uh, needs to be put to an end. Data from ongoing and future trials of novel COVID treatments must be independently controlled and analyzed. Anything less than total transparency cannot be trusted. Since uh, the start of the pandemic, hundreds of millions of people have been involved in the largest medical experiment in human history. Mass vaccination was an unproven novel therapy. Hundreds of billions will be made by Big Pharma and paid for by the public. With politicians and other non-medical individuals dictating to us what we are allowed to prescribe to the ill. We as doctors have been put in a, posi in, in a position 
such as our ability to uphold the Hippocratic Oath, is uh, under attack. She then hints at Gates' role in the suppression of ivermectin. Quote, At this fateful juncture, juncture, we must therefore choose. Will we continue to be held ransom by corrupt organizations, health authorities, big pharma, and billionaire sociopaths, or... uh, Will we do our moral and professional duty to do no harm and always do the best for the patients in our care? Never before has our role as doctors been so important because never before have we become so complicit in causing so much harm. Now, who looks like the, 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 the good guy and the villain in that? Laurie or Hill? Laurie or Gates? All this woman wants to do is save lives and the evidence is clear. But you can't do that because Bill Gates has funded to the tune of $40 million this Andrew Hill guy and Unidae to the tune of $150 million to make sure that off-patent drugs like ivermectin and chloroquine do not get approved for the treatment of COVID. Finally, Dr. Uh, Laurie suggests that physicians form a new world health organization that rep- that actually represents the interests of the people, not corporations and billionaires. It would be a people-centered organization. Now, ironically, on uh, October 1st of 2021, Dr. Andrew Hill, the WHO's stooge, resurfaced on Twitter touting his upcoming lecture. Listen to, listen to the name of his upcoming lecture. Quote, effects of bias and potential medical fraud in the promotion of ivermectin. What a self-unaware piece of human garbage. The FDA issued its first warning about ivermectin on April 10, 2020, in reaction to ivermectin studies by Australia's Monash University. And a, uh, a similar study from an American physician named Dr. Uh, Jean-Jacques Rattier. Uh, claiming on its website, this is the FDA's website, quote, additional testing is needed to determine whether ivermectin might be safe or effective to prevent or treat COVID-19. When Dr. Pierre Corey's explosive, now that we've talked about Dr. Corey a few weeks ago, Dr. Corey testified in front of the uh, the Senate, U.S. Senate, on December 8, 2020. At that time, Americans were getting legitimate prescriptions at pharmacies for ivermectin of up to 88,000 prescriptions in a single week. The truth of the drug's benefits was going viral, and the last thing Dr. Fauci could tolerate was an effective treatment for COVID-19. Something had to be done. The government then moved to aggressively block its use. On December 24th, in what seemed like a trial balloon, the South African government quietly banned the importation of ivermectin. YouTube then scrubbed Corey's video. (laughs) Facebook blocked it and a few other. They scrubbed his Senate testimony. It was on C-SPAN. YouTube and Facebook took it down. Then in March of 2021, the USDA, uh, I'm sorry, the USFDA, the European Medical Association, and the WHO issued statements advising against the use of ivermectin for COVID-19. The uh, uh, Europeans said it should not be used at all. The WHO, echoing, echoing its strategy for hydroxychloroquine, said that ivermectin's use should be limited only to uh, clinical trials. Now, the high cost of running a clinical trial and their uh, reliance on the NIH, NIAID, Gates, and Big Pharma meant that their results would be easily controlled. So the WHO says, and Fauci has said this about chloroquine on TV, they should only be used in a clinical trial. Well, No pharmaceutical company, which is the chief funder of these trials, is going to fund a trial on an off-patent drug. That's clear. So the only people who are going to do it are NGOs and 
uh, uh, government agencies like NIH and NIAID, which are run by Fauci, or the NGOs, which are primarily run by Bill Gates. So you basically got Bill Gates and Fauci. Those are going to be the only people who would ever fund a, tri a trial study on ivermectin. How do you think that's going to work out? The FDA issued a much firmer uh, directive, quote, you should not use ivermectin to prevent or treat COVID-19. On August the 16th, 2021, the CDC ordered doctors to stop prescribing ivermectin. On August 17th, the, uh, 2020, a year earlier, the NIAID recommended against ivermectin's use to combat the novel coronavirus. On August 26, 2021, the CDC sent out an emergency warning using its health alert network. On September 2nd, 2021, on MSNBC Tonight with Chris Hayes, Hayes interviewed the president of the American Medical Association, Dr. Gerald Harmon. He explained that the AMA is taking this unprecedented step of stopping doctors from using ivermectin because it isn't, quote, approved by the FDA for the treatment of COVID-19. What he failed to mention in the interview is that up to between 30, 20 and 30 percent of prescriptions written every year by America's doctors are for off-label uses not approved by the FDA. We talked about that a few weeks ago. So even, even the private unions of doctors are saying, they're telling their members, don't use ivermectin. That's never before been done. Even though 20 to 30 percent of all prescriptions written in the United States every year are for off-label uh, use. Doctors who answered uh, the questions about ivermectin for themselves and prescribed ivermectin after September faced growing scrutiny and heavy-handed tactics, including censorship, threats to their license, and to their board certification. Pharmacists, including large chains like CVS, Walmart, and Kroger, uh, refused to fill prescriptions for ivermectin. Quote, for, this is a quote from Dr. Peter McCullough, for the first time in history, pharmacies were telling doctors what they can and cannot prescribe. For the first time in history, like I've told you a few weeks ago, typically the, the pharmacist can only really deny a prescription if it's for a controlled drug and something seems really fishy. All of a sudden, all these pharmacists are coming in with legitimate prescriptions for human ivermectin, and they're saying, nope, doesn't work, not proven. The medical profession has long told doctors that their single obligation is to their patients. The American Medical Association's declaration helped march doctors into their new role as agents of state policy. In Florida and South Carolina, Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, sent mass mailings to physicians notifying them that they would no longer pay insurance claims for ivermectin and threatened audits of any physician who wrote a prescription for the drug. A drug with a safety profi profile on par with Tylenol, by the way. In January of 2021, Syracuse, uh, New York attorney, a man named Ralph Lurigo, filed for an injunction on behalf of a critically ill hospital patient, the mother of one of his clients, against a local hospital that was resisting family request to treat her with ivermectin. A state Supreme Court judge uh, immediately granted Lurigo's re uh, request and ordered the hospital to issue ivermectin, critically ill patient. Within 12 hours of taking ivermectin, 12 hours, the dying woman miraculously began to recover. Two weeks later, uh, this lawyer, Mr. Lurigo, 
uh, obtained a second injunction for a similar, uh, a similarly situated client who also made a miraculous recovery. To date, Larigo has been in 30 courts. Quote, this is a quote from the lawyer. The people who I've been able to get ivermectin to on time have all lived. The others have all died. He goes, the hospitals are so arrogant. They are letting the people die. They get $37,000 to put them on the ventilators and they just let them die. And there were similar studies uh, uh, a few weeks ago, or, or similar uh, stories coming out a few weeks ago. I believe it was in Ohio or something. Uh, there, I think there was one in Florida. These doctors, or these hospitals will not give you ivermectin. The one in Ohio, I believe, the court uh, forced them to use ivermectin. The person was on the ventilator near death, and miraculously they recovered. Imagine that. All right, so now we're going to talk about Merck. Merck was the... Uh, principal producer of ivermectin for the United States. That's the original patent holder, but now it's off patent. The title of this section of the chapter is Merck's Steps to Kill Its Baby. During the early industry offensive against hydroxychloroquine, one of the drug's principal manufacturers, a company called Sanofi, or Sanofi, uh, <clears throat> suddenly detected, quote, safety concerns with hydroxychloroquine that it had never noticed during the decades of profitable pre-pandemic production. In a remarkable coincidence, on February 4th of 2021, Merck similarly discovered a, quote, concerning lack of safety data in the majority of studies regarding, regarding ivermectin. Merck was ivermectin's original manufacturer and had formally boasted of ivermectin as a, quote, wonder drug. During the 40 years that it, marked the, that it marketed the drug worldwide, Merck had never spoken of these worrisome safety signals until now. Since 1987, Merck has given given away billions of doses to the developing world for scabies, river blindness, lymphatic filariasis, uh, elephantasis, uh, and assorted other parasites without any safety alarms. In 2016, Merck distributed 900 million doses of ivermectin to Africa alone. So what prompted Merck's sudden safety concerns? Well... Merck's exclusive ivermectin patent rights expired in 1996, and dozens of generic drug companies were now able to produce ivermectin. Uh, the cost of ivermectin was about 40 cents a dose, which badly diminished ivermectin's profitability for Merck. Furthermore, only 10 days, listen to this, only 10 days before Merck discovered its concerns about ivermectin, Merck co-signed co a manufacturing partnership for the Novavax uh, vaccine, that was moving into final trials. Furthermore, in uh, December of 2020, Merck had announced a $356 million supply deal by which the NIH agreed to purchase 60,000 to 100,000 doses of its experimental COVID pill called MK7110. So 10 days before they found all the, uh, after 20, 30 years, they all of a sudden found all these terrible things with ivermectin. Uh, they signed a partnership deal with Novavax, uh, which is a vaccine still trying to be approved now. And in December of 2020, they had announced a $350 million supply deal with the government, with Fauci's agency, the NIAID, to purchase 60 to 100,000 doses of a new experimental COVID pill. But perhaps most importantly, ivermectin is also a low-profile profit competitor for another new Merck product for COVID-19, which is a high-cost antiviral drug uh, named Malmapiravir, uh, for which Merck had 
the highest financial ambitions. Ironically, Malnapiravir is a copycat formula utilizing a, an identical mechanism of action as ivermectin. Uh, when Malnapiravir uh, is released, and I, it just got, this was the Merck drug that just got emergency use authorization, it will retail at around $700 per course, but only if Merck can uh, kill its cheap rival. So ivermectin costs 40 cents. The new Malnapiravir cost $700. You see why they all of a sudden found these safety concerns with ivermectin. Molnupiravir is a protease inhibitor that mimics the antiviral properties of ivermectin. Unlike ivermectin, however, the new drug showed safety signals so alarming that some of its co-developers at Emory University protested its introduction into phase one human trials. So unlike it, they copycat some of the mechanisms of ivermectin, then they give it off to Emory University, and the people running these trials were saying, this is so dangerous, we can't even test it on humans. Among other problems, they cite the possibility that the drug will cause birth defects. India has already pulled it. There's evidence that this is what caused the Omicron strain, because it turns your body into a variant factory. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, <clears throat> It was a Pentagon's bioweapons agency and corporate welfare program for military contractors. The uh, DTRA provided $10 million in 2013 and 2015 to Emory University to develop Malnapiravir as a vet. Listen to this: as a veterinary drug for horses against equine encephalitis. So this was developed by the government, by the military, with Emory University for horses. It is a horse drug. Also, the NIAID, Fauci's organization, contributed $19 million to the project and then transferred the drug. Uh, they helped develop it and then transferred the drug with Emory University in a golden handoff to Merck. In uh, June of 2021, as the FDA and NIAID were cranking up the medical cartel's opposition against ivermectin, Health and Human Services agreed to purchase 1.7 five-day treatment courses of malnipiravir from Merck for $1.2 billion. When the drug wins FDA approval, which it already has after uh, since this book has come out, or emergency use authorization, a contingency that can be virtually guaranteed, or the contingency for its approval will be guaranteed by Fauci's uh, uh, Washington drug kingmakers. Not only was the drug developed with taxpayer money, but its $712 per dose price to the taxpayer is 40 times uh, more than Merck's $17.64 cost of production. So in this Molnipiravir... Uh, it cost Merck $17.64 to make it. They retail it at $712. Now, the taxpayer has already paid for this. We funded it. We researched it with our tax money. And now they're going to charge you $700 for it. Merck is so certain of the FDA's approval that by September of 2020, it had already scaled up manufacturing, even though its clinical trials were still underway. The clinical trials are still happening, and they're ramping up production because they already know their man on the inside, the good Dr. Fauci, is going to push it through. Merck announced in October of 2021 that Molnupiravir had shown, quote, game-changing results against COVID-19 in clinical trials, reducing hospitalizations and deaths by 50% against placebo. What was the talking point on CNN and MSNBC and Fox and all these and CBS when uh, they announced the Merck drug Molnupiravir? They said over and over, game changer, game changer, game changer. Even the doctors on Fox were saying this is a game changer. They write the narrative like a script. 
Quote, the news of the efficacy of this uh, particular antiviral is obviously very good news, trumpeted the White House chief medical advisor and pharma spokesman, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Quote, again from Fauci, the FDA will look at the data and in the very usual, very efficient, very effective way will evaluate the data as quickly as they possibly can, and then it will be taken to market from there. So just, just to remind you, Fauci is using his favorite buzzwords there. Uh, efficient and effective. The agency is so efficient and effective, and we will make sure that it is very safe uh, for your use. While, of course, we uh, reap a lot of financial benefits for ourselves and our friends in Big Pharma. All right, folks, uh, that is all the time I have today. We did not get through ivermectin, but we're almost there. Um, so next, the next couple weeks, I don't know if I'm going to have a new podcast. I'm pre-recording a few episodes. I'm in the process of moving up to Nashville. So there will be episodes dropped, but uh, they won't be about COVID necessarily, which is probably a good thing because I think we all need to get off this topic. So the next live podcast that I record will be, we'll finish up Ivermectin and we will finish Remdesivir. That will blow your mind. Uh, the big takeaway today, this new uh, Malnapiravir that, that Merck has developed, which is the reason they were uh, decrying the use of ivermectin and all of a sudden make, making ivermectin again with a safety profile on par with Tylenol. They were all of a sudden making it into this dangerous, deadly drug, a horse dewormer. Remember that Molnupirnavir, which was paid for by your tax money, uh, was developed as a horse pill for equine encephalitis. That is encephalitis in horses. So until next week, I remind you that now is the time to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. I also wish you health, success, and freedom, and as always, namaste for now. One thing that I know, you gotta take-